It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports commerce and editor with Rick Broering. It's presented, as always, by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We now know who the Bengals will play. We know where they'll play, and the fact that we know the Bengals are going to play is a huge deal after they beat Tennessee 19-16 on Evan McPherson's walk-off field goal and the craziest of crazy games where Buffalo and Kansas City, if they had a, if they'd each gotten one more possession apiece the full time, we might be playing till Tuesday and not know who won that game uh, after Kansas City wins in overtime 42-36 and just the craziest of finishes. Um, Rick, I'm going to let you start because you're the one that puts the podcast together, but that was a crazy ending to that game. Oh, it was nuts. And if you're wondering what the lines are looking like for next week, the Bengals have opened up as a seven-point favorite. I saw some people had them as a six-point favorite initially. It quickly went to seven. But either way, I think this is going to be bet in the Chiefs' direction. Well, it's funny you say that. I just I, is before we did this podcast, I just did a, a radio interview from a, a, a entity in Las Vegas. It's more of a pro it's a gambling site. But uh, I, I like the host, and they asked me to come on. As we were on there, they said it opened at seven and said, oh, big bet on the Bengals, apparently, because it's down to six and a half. So I guess some early money came in on the Bengals side. I've seen a couple different lines floating out there. Some people opened it at seven. Some people opened it at six and a half. So maybe they, they're even seeing different opening lines. But uh, my guess is this is going to be bet towards the Chiefs, and it's going to go up to at least seven and a half, if not. Do you really think so? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, by all, Chiefs by only one possession? Yeah, no, I, Bengals, I mean, I know I'm, we I'm, love I'm, Joe I'm, Burrow and everyone's starting to catch on to that, but it's still the Chiefs and all everything they've done over the last few years versus the Bengals. Yeah, that's fair. Um, boy, the seven and a half number always bothers me. If it goes up higher, I think it shows more confidence in the money. If it hung around seven and a half, I'd be more inclined to take the Bengals. If it actually went up to eight and a half or nine, I think I'd say there's a lot of confidence on Kansas City. Yeah, that's definitely how that normally looks. The seven and a half line always looks like a little bit of a sucker line. Like we just right. want to get you right. roped in here. Right. And right. Uh, but really, that's all all I need for the Bengals. Right. If it's more than one possession, I'd feel really good as a Bengals better. So, well, I'm going to tell you this and, and we'll, we'll get to this on our podcast on uh, on Thursday when we do our betting segment right now. I'm not betting against Joe Burrow. Now, trust me, I think Kansas City wins the game, but I, I'm not betting against Joe Burrow right now. Not the way that that cat can beat you, throwing for 500, 440, 350, getting knocked down nine times, throwing for 150 and being efficient. Dude's just a winner, period, end of story. I think we can both agree on that. So let's get into some of that Bengals Titans win, which just still, even over 24 hours later, feels kind of surreal. It's, it's really hard to believe. Had we done this podcast right after the game? I wouldn't have had the words like I just I didn't really have anything to say. I was almost in a state of shock yesterday after the Bengals won that game because it just it's hard to explain what that's like being in Cincinnati and watching this franchise for so long and then seeing things fall into place and consistently go their way in key moments like that in the playoffs is just something that I I really never quite thought I'd see if I'm being honest. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, you can go to the first interception of the game, which led to three points, and Mike, Mike Hilton's interception, which erased at least three, if not seven points, and then the Logan Wilson interception. Um, though, you're right, those things don't happen, but, you know, when you look at some of these guys, Jesse Bates was a guy before the year we thought, pay the man, right? And they didn't, and it looked throughout the season like, eh, that's rightfully so. And here in the playoffs, he's played two great games. Logan Wilson has, was, has had a great second season. He emerged. Mike Hilton played on playoff teams. 
So yeah, you we can we can argue they're fluky. We can talk about some. I mean, th- that some of them are. I mean, Mike Hilton jumping up and batting a pass and it stays up in the air and he's able to catch it. It's a little fluky. Eli Apple gets a tip in and a tip drill and Logan Wilson intercepts it. It's a little fluky. But then you look and you go, okay, but it wasn't like some guy off the street just made that play. These guys were all um, drafted or signed or plucked for specific reasons. And so that's what you expect from guy. You expect a, a Mike Hilton. It doesn't have to be every game, but you expect him to occasionally make a play because he played on a playoff team in Pittsburgh. Logan Wilson has emerged as a really quality starting linebacker in this league. You should expect him to make an occasional play. And Jesse Bates last year was the best safety in football, right, by PFF. Not this year. But, you know, he still has that talent somewhere in him. And by golly, if he hasn't emerged here in the playoffs. So um, you're right. Those things don't happen except when you have players capable of making that happen. The one thing I kept coming back to as I thought more about this game is we hear coaches talk a lot about complementary football. We just want to play complementary football. We want to be good in all three phases of the game. You know, your your offense leads into your defense, leads into your special teams, and all of those things are in sync. And if if one happens to slip, well, then the, the next phase is there to pick you up, right? That's who this Bengals team is. We came yes. into this season, and I, I was saying things like, well, maybe if the defense is just okay and doesn't completely suck, then the offense will be high-powered with Burrow and Chase and Higgins and Boyd and Mixon, and they'll be able to throw the ball around and we'll get in some 45 to 42 shootouts and win some fun games, and at least this team will be entertaining and they'll go around 500 maybe. That would be an ideal season. You see Joe Burrow take a step forward, and we just have a really fun team to watch and be hopeful about going forward. But as this this season has progressed, we've seen that, this team can win any style of game. Yes. Yep. It's, it's not a one-dimensional team at all. It's not a team that has to play a certain style or get, you know, face a certain type of opponent. They've proven, okay, if we have to get into that passing game shootout style that I thought would be how they'd have to win most of the time, they can definitely do that. They're fine playing against the Chiefs and scoring in the 30s. If they've got to get in a knockdown, drag out, fight with the Ravens or the Titans and a team that wants to muck it up and run the football up the middle and are tough against the run on the other side, they can win those games too. And their defense can hang with it and get some stops against the run and and prove what they did against the Titans. And then obviously you've got this special teams thing that is just incredible. The Bengals legitimately have the best kicker in the NFL right now. I don't think I'd trade him for Justin Tucker even. I don't either, only because he's younger. But yeah, those two guys are certainly on par. I mean, that that, that that's the part. You, you feel confident, and and I we talked about this during the season. It just changes your thought as a play. I mean, for the Bengals, when when the Logan Wilson interception return for Randy Bullock, Bullock or Mike Nugent or even Doug Pelfrey, I love Doug. You were thinking, gotta get to the thirty. Can we get to the thirty? This was literally get us one 17-yard completion. In this case, it was a 21-yard completion. But get us one 17-yard completion, and then we'll grind our way for three more yards. He'll kick a 52, and we're done. It it changes everything you have to do as a play caller, as a quarterback, as as an offense at that point. You're not thinking about getting 25 yards. You're thinking about getting 17. And when waning seconds of a game, that stuff matters. Well, we saw what it looks like with Randy Bullock in this same game, right? They got down to the 35. And they said, had that- nah, said, nah, bubba, nah. Right. They could have kicked a 50, what, three yarder right. with, with Randy Bullock right there, which the Bengals absolutely would have done in that same situation. They said, you know what? Let's run it with Derrick Henry. Try to move the chains one more time. And guess what happened? They got stuffed in the backfield. And then interestingly enough, Vrabel said in his post-game press conference that on the final drive, when, when they turned it over, 
they were trying to kill some clock and they were moving slow because they just wanted to get to the 35 for a field goal and didn't want to give the ball back to Joe Burrow. So it's weird that he was willing to kick the 53 yarder at the end of the game, but wouldn't do it a possession earlier when, when they had that chance. I, I thought that was kind of fascinating, but either way, it just goes to tell you the type of confidence that the Bengals have in Evan McPherson. That is just unlike what other teams are able to rely on. And also how scared opponents are of Joe Burrow and Evan McPherson at the end of games. Yeah, and I think I've talked to you about this before of, of, of just covering games. I'm not scared of it because I'm not a coach and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. But I, I would watch the, the Ravens get to the 50 and go, man, you better not allow one more first down. And, and trust me, I think that changes your, your play calling as a coordinator. You get a little more aggressive when you shouldn't be. And you, you do things you shouldn't do and wouldn't do. I think there's a big advantage there psychologically, too, and from a play calling perspective. And, and it, it, I think it just makes a big, big difference when you got a guy that can, you just go, hey, Get us to the 40 and we got a shot. Get us to the 35, we got a definite shot. I believe that Evan McPherson is going to be the most popular kicker ever in the NFL. Hear me He's out. a he- dude. He's a different dude. Hear me out on this, okay? Right. He's already got the two game winners in two playoff games. He's had a, a bunch of big kicks this year to go along with it, but those are the ones that nationally people notice and builds you a little bit of a reputation. We've talked about his nickname an awful lot this year for a kicker. And it's he's built up a little bit of a persona there, and and his name's gotten out a little bit. Well, you, well, hang on, hang on, Rick. And you know what? The money Mac comes to fruition because guess what? The Bengals now make going to the AFC Championship game. He made them sixty-two grand now going to the championship game. They made forty-two grand in the divisional round. His kick made everybody sixty-two grand. So he is money Mac. He really is. Well, and we've even had the argument, right? Is it money Mac or is it Shooter McPherson, which the, <laughs> his teammates seem to prefer, and yep, I, yep. I personally prefer. But either way, I think just the fact that we're debating nicknames for a kicker kind of tells you a little bit of something about who this guy is and his persona. Then you've got. The viral videos that he had in college where he was doing the trick shots going re-viral over the last two weeks because he's back in the public eye with the playoffs and the game-winning kicks. And then we have the story that we got from Joe Burrow after this game, Skinny. Do you want to take <laughs> us through what Joe Burrow said in the post game? Yeah, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but what he just said, he goes, he just went, huh, we're going to the championship game. <laughs> I mean, that was before he kicked the kick. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a kicker having that kind of confidence? Just take a deep breath. He swung his leg and go, huh, guess we're going to the championship game. <laughs> oh, okay. Just Don't a do fan- it, dude. A fantastic line. It's something you would have expected to come out of Joe Burrow's mouth. Right. But in right. this instance, of course, you know, it was the kicker. And it's just weird to have a kicker that... I don't know that I even care about talking about in this way, no. but I, I really think this guy is going to become like a national icon for kickers. That No, that's the thing. Um, you can tell teammates love him and they talk about, he's, you know, he's a guy in the locker room. We like to be around. Most kickers are alienated. Even if they're good dudes. I mean, Mike Nugent was a good dude, man. I love talking to Mike. Uh, Mike was a stand-up guy when things didn't go right. Randy Bullock was a stand-up guy when things didn't go right, but they kind of were off to the side. They were in their little area with Clark Harris and with Kevin Huber in the locker room. We're not in the locker room, obviously, but I'm going to guess Evan McPherson's going to go talk to guys, and they're going to go talk to him. I mean, when DJ Reader talks about, I don't roll my eyes at kickers, I don't roll my eyes at this guy especially, that tells me something, because most guys don't look at kickers as football players, as you know, because they're the ones getting the crap kicked out of them every down, and this little guy trots on the field and swats his leg and goes, hey, I'm really good, or I just screwed it up for you guys. Sorry, you guys played your ass off for 60 minutes. Sorry I missed from 43. No, I think they really appreciate him as a person which then obviously they appreciate him very much as a player because he keeps making big kick after big kick. 
yeah, I went to Holy Cross High School where former Bengal offensive lineman Bruce Kazerski was <laughs> yep. the football coach and uh, the, one of the math teachers there. And I remember one time I was talking to his wife and she told me a story about when she was picking up her daughter from dance class. She saw Lee Johnson, the former Bengals punter, picking up his daughters at the same time. And she said, Lee, don't you guys have practice today? Should you be at practice right now? And he says, I'm, I'm not a real football player. I'm, I'm a punter. So he was a veteran at that point. He didn't have to be at practice every day. Just let those guys do it. He just has to come swing his leg a few times, but kind of speaks to what you're talking about. Why other players don't typically like those nerdy special teams, kicker type guys. And McPherson just seems to be on a different level in that regard. But uh, I, I, just as an aside, he's obviously awesome, but I think there's something building here in terms of his Agreed. brand that is going to, to bubble to the surface as we continue on this thing. All right. I All right, talk- real, quick, real, real quick. Let me give you a quick number. Okay. So do you know the most field goals in postseason history career-wise for the Bengals is? Do you know what it is? You can probably guess the guy. I'm going to guess. You, you'll Great, guess the guy. I would assume. Right. Do you know what the number is? And this is a guy that 10? kicked in. This guy this is a guy that kicked in two Super Bowls and kicked in another playoff game in 1982. It's nine. Oh, nine. So he's tied which, which, No, he's got eight. He's eight oh, for okay. eight. He's eight for eight. But think about that. In two games, he's almost become the career record holder in his rookie year because he's eight for eight. That that's that. I don't know why that's incredible to me, but it is. It is. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the fact that he's eight for eight, that he's made every field, and they, it's not like they've been asking him to kick thirty-four yarders. Right. A lot of he's in a bunch of fifty yarders and forty plus. I mean, the guy's just unbelievable. Um, I wanted to get into Lou Anarumo's defense though to to kind of transition this because. Yep. This game, in a lot of ways, came down to if they were going to be able to hang tough against the run or not. And I mean, we know what happens when you can't stop Derrick Henry against this Titans team. They are able to exploit that as well as any team in the National Football League, and they'll just bleed the clock out on you. And it feels like it's like playing against Princeton in the Princeton <laughs> offense and being down by yep. fifteen in the second half. You know, you just with, without like you with, without a shot without a sh- without a shot clock in the in the non shot clock era. But yes, you're right. Right. And I just look at Lou Anarumo's defense and maybe looking back on the season, we shouldn't have been surprised that this matchup worked out so well for the Bengals, because this is who the Bengals defense has been all year. They keep the ball in front of them. They avoid mistakes and and giving up the big play. And they've been pretty good against the run for the most part. They're not dominant. They're going to let you get some yards. But when it comes to bowing their back and needing a stop in important situations, They've been good at the line of scrimmage. And this is why you spent all the money on a guy like DJ Reader that you did. He has shored up that part of the Bengals defense in a big way. You can't just bully them at the point of attack anymore. And he was spectacular in this game. Uh, I'll give you a number, Rick. The, uh, the first two playoff opponents are two for eight scoring touchdowns in the red zone. You think that matters? It, and that, and that's that the whole thing right there, right? You can move the ball on them, but when it really comes down to it and you've got to gain those couple of yards or you've got to punch it in the end zone, this defense has been pretty damn good. Or, I mean, you want you want the microcosm of all this, or maybe the, the I guess, the anecdote of all this. When the Titans went for two, they're down at the one with Derrick Henry, and Clay freaking Johnston comes from the backside and stops him short of the end zone of the two-point conversion. You know, that, that's not a red zone stop because it doesn't count as that, um, but that's every bit of red zone stop, right? And yeah, I mean, I mean, even on the fourth and the third and yeah. one, fourth and one, fourth it's and not one. in the red, it's not in the red zone, and it's not a turnover, but it might as well have been a turnover because they get a first down there, they bleed more clock, they go down and kick a field goal, they might go down and score a touchdown, and the Bengals are playing from behind against that pass rush. I think they were done. I really think they were done if they don't get the stop. 
there was actually an exchange this year where Paul Daner was tweeting about the, some of the other linebacker names. And I actually mentioned to him about Johnston. I, I was like, you're just making up names at this point. And he's like, I won't tell you when exactly it was that I looked up and said, when oh, did the- <laughs> I, I know this answer. Go ahead. Yeah, when did the Bengals add him? I don't even know who he, that is. He literally asked me in the press box one day, who is that guy? I go, they just signed him off Carolina. He goes, oh, okay. And I'm not dissing Paul because Paul's great. And we all do that oh, yeah. sometimes where you just, you just don't see a transaction. But cheap, literally, but, but no, but literally when he did that, I went, I went, yeah, they just signed him. I said, yeah, he's a nobody. Well, nobody made a hell of a play at the goal line. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, DJ Reader, six tackles, two tackles for losses. His post-game interview was just outstanding with the media. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that in its entirety, I'd highly recommend going back and listening to that because I thought he was really great and kind of just gives you a, a really good view of who this team is at its core and the guys that they brought in, why it was important for Zach Taylor to bring those types of guys in. When you hear them talk, you realize it. They've got the right mindset. This stuff matters to them, and I think they all just feed off of each other in that regard. Yeah, Rick, I'm not big on the disrespect stuff. I'm not, but I, I do think he was from the heart and he kind of circumvented around that of we haven't earned the respect and now we're trying to earn the respect. And so I'm good with that part of it. Um, but, I, but I do think, I thought Joe Burrow was better. I, I thought DJ was great because he was from the heart and passion. I thought Joe Burrow was better with his whole, I'm tired of the Cinderella narrative. I'm tired of, we're a good team. We've worked hard. Um, we put ourselves in position. I thought that was really, really good stuff. I'm not, I'm not dissing DJ. I get what he was coming with. I just never, I, I hate the disrespect card. I mean, you haven't earned respect yet, guys. I mean, my God, you were a, a four win team last season and you finally earn it because you won games and now you earn it. That's how life goes. I mean, why should anybody respect you till you earn it? And now you have earned it. I, I like the whole burrow with the Cinderella narrative though. Burrow's the best speaker on the team. He's always so poignant and just intriguing because he's so cool and confident and all that stuff. But I think the thing I liked about Reader a little bit more is some of the stuff you mentioned earlier where he was like hyping up his kicker, talking about McPherson and that they respect him right. and all that. And then he was talking about Burrow and he's just like, that's the toughest dude in the league right there, man. I really appreciate him because he doesn't whine. And our guys never talk about how cold it was last weekend when we had to go out there and play the game. He's like, we are built for this. We're a gritty team. We love the grind. We're all a bunch of guys that have been counted out and that weren't wanted by our previous teams. That's why we're available in free agency. And we all feel like we have something to prove here in Cincinnati. And they play like that. They play like a guy with you know the proverbial chip on their shoulder or whatever cliche you want to use and it's just it's a really easy team to root for because it did feel like a lot of castoffs and a, a lot of guys that had been counted out and for good reason I counted them out I thought this defense was going to be very very average at the absolute best this year and they have way exceeded my expectations yeah no I I and not not the toot my horn I, I love them back in training camp but you know you watch training camp and that doesn't always come to fruition they just look different and once they've played, they've been, they've been different. And look, I mean, as much as we've dissed certain guys, Eli Apple at times, right? Who comes up with a big, big deflection in, in, at the Huge. end of regulation to get yeah. the interception. I mean, puts a hand in there and gets the deflection. God love him for it. Yeah. And, and Bates, you, like you said, he got the, he had the tone setting interception right at the beginning of the game. You had the Hilton TD, which I thought was an incredible play. I know you said it was a little bit fluky. Right, it kind of was, I guess, but I mean, he, the reaction to catch it, not, right not, not the bat, not, 
Yeah, not to bat it down. I mean, batting it down right. was just a great athletic play, but a little fluky that it bounced straight up in the air. He went, oh, I can catch this now. Yeah, I mean, that reaction there to make that an interception after he tipped it was phenomenal. And then uh, Wilson picking it off to win it. And not obviously that was a big play, but like you said, Eli Apple kind of had the bigger play there with the deflection to tip the ball up in the air. But how about Logan Wilson just in general? We've talked about him a lot yeah. this year and him filling that role as the stud of that defense and a real dude there in the middle of, of your team and a captain. He has eight tackles, six solos, a, a quarterback hit, a pass broken up. He was pretty damn good in a big moment right there. Well, and, and let's face it, not a lot of linebackers, that wasn't a hard catch, mind you, but not a lot of linebackers have the ball skills to even catch the deflection. They're all, you know, thumbs and and and, and forearms and, uh, you know, gloves and maybe don't catch that ball. He caught it like he was easy for him to catch that. And, and I know that sounds simple because it's just a nice little soft deflection, but you see a lot of guys out panic their hands get all mucky and they don't catch it properly he's calm and cool because he can catch the football and he made an easy catch on it and um i don't think that should be discounted either yeah how many interceptions is that for him now six five on the year five, five on the year yeah yeah so five I mean, four regular season one playoff yep yeah he, he's he's shown those ball skills throughout the season skinny is there anything else well i mean i guess a woozie was kind of one of the negative points from this game he really struggled it was impressive to me that he had such a poor game and the defense was able right. to withstand it and not give up a bunch of points as a result and let's face it, i know we want guys to be great all the time joe burrow hasn't been great all <laughs> right. the time i mean you're, you're just not and yeah he for whatever reason a couple times it looked like he slipped he just didn't did he just wasn't right i mean even the touchdown to aj brown his coverage was okay it was pretty good and aj brown makes that crazy one-handed catch but yeah he wasn't very good and yet you still only give up 16 points and still won the game. And so for a guy like that, that's the, that's the great thing about pro sports with guys who are really good. Yeah. They're going to have a bad, everybody. MJ has a bad game. Kobe has a bad game. Will Chamberlain has a bad, everybody has a bad game, right? Um, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, you, you figure out everybody has a bad game. And so if that was Cheeto's bad game, I guess he doesn't make it two in a row. And what a good time for that not to be two in a row facing a team as good as Kansas City and a receiving core as good as Kansas City. Yeah, and that's the truth. I mean, it didn't feel like it was anything that, oh, no, no Cheeto's lost correct, there. He's really correct. struggling here. He's in correct. a slump. It's, it was just he got beat a couple of times, yep. and that happens. The other team are paying their players a lot of money, too, for a reason. You know, that sometimes you're just going up against a really good player, and they get the best of you. That's fine. But I guess, again, it goes back to my overall point of this team just continues to impress me that they can make up for mistakes like that. If one of their better players who you think is so important, their defense lets them down, it's not the end of the world for this group. And that just kind of speaks to the overall depth and how good they've been as an entire unit, not just this game, but really throughout the season. And they continue to get better. So you mentioned Joe Burrow, and this game was one where he really wasn't at his best. And obviously he got sacked nine times, so it's really hard to be at your best. But man, he was still awesome when it mattered, wasn't he? Well, I think he was actually really good when he gave him a clean pocket. I mean, he, he you know, he's 20, 20, I'm doing this on top of my head, 28 to 37 or 27 to 38. I'm, I'm doing my math wrong. 28 and, to 37. Yeah. And T Higgins dropped two balls. He did. I mean, he, he dropped two balls. So put those in the mix. He didn't drop very many. Suddenly you're 30 to 37. That's, that's almost 80% completion percentage despite getting belted around. I honestly thought Joe was great. And hell, I'll, I'll even throw one more on that. The, the the check down to Samaj P Ryan. It wasn't a great pass, but you got to catch the ball, and you certainly can't box it like he boxed it. There's another one. That's 31 of 37 now, right? Yeah, that's, and, pretty, that's pretty damn good. You're no, he he was great. That's what I'm saying. He was awesome when it mattered. But to your point, the clean pocket situation. He took a couple of sacks on third yes. down that he yeah. absolutely yes. can't, can't take. take. They were bad can't decisions. Take, right? I mean, that's right. There's and that's no on question. Him. 
And yeah, if no he, question. If he doesn't make those plays when it mattered to then win the game after that, then you're looking back at it and go, eh, you know, Joe's been amazing this year. He's obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but there were some learning moments in that game. And I think we saw that it wasn't his best performance, certainly not compared to the first postseason game he had and the last couple of games of the regular season, but it didn't matter because he's still so damn good with the game on the line. And like you said, he's accurate. He makes the big throws. He gets them into positions for the field goal. And he really never should have had the interception one because P Ryan shouldn't have made such a poor play on the ball, but two, that was not interception. That is one of the worst calls. Mm, even after review. I don't know. I don't know. I'm done. Deb- it was so simultaneous. Stop right there. You, Unless we're allowed to use the ground to catch the ball, I don't want to hear about the simultaneous stuff. That's use it. You're using the ground to help you catch the ball if it's happening happening simultaneously. That is a the, the, trap. The, like by the definition of nah, trap, the the ball can hit the ground if you, if have, you have control. control. There's no and, way to get control if it happens nearly simultaneously. You're almost dribbling um, the ball off the ground. It's um, insane to act like that's a catch. That's how stupid the NFL rulebook has got to the point where people like you who are intelligent think that that could even possibly be ruled an interception. That is nah, so stupid. The, the, the one thing I will say, it goes back to the rules are written sometimes in a wrong way. And what the rule should be is at any point, if at any point the ball hits the ground, at any point it is an incompletion. That's not really a hard rule to write. And they just don't have that rule that way. Well, and so be, the way the, the right, so right. It continues way, to evolve. And we've gotten out of this point where if you can just dribble the ball off the turf once or twice, but and he, it's like, oh, but he never good. He didn't dribble it, dude. He, he never moved it. He scraped he, it as he was catching. He it moved like three correct. inches. You can see the Hang on. line up. Slow down. He did. He did scrape it, but in simultaneous catch, that's not a catch. You're, you're you're allowed to use you're allowed to use the ground, and that's well, then that's again, not that, a catch. That's a new that's thing that I, we're creating, but that's not a catch. A no, catch that's, requires that's, you to catch the ball without the ground. Period. No, it does not. It, that's in the, in thing. the real world, we can talk about the NFL rulebook, but in the real world, if you're trying to catch a ball, right. if your son is and bouncing that, off the ground while he's catching it, you're not telling me caught the ball. That's not. And that's and that's where I go back to. Let's change the rule to make it pretty simple. Agreed. The ball hits the ground at any point. It's not a catch, but that's not the rule. And those guys but have even, to officiate the rule, dude. But even by the rule, that's not a catch. That is, he didn't. You can't possibly have control of the ball if you're simultaneously scraping across the ground. You don't have control of it yet. Mm-hmm. It was like you um, said. It was simultaneous. He's he's bumping into the ground as he's gaining control of the ball. That can't possibly be an interception. You're well, using the, the, the ball at like a hard surface underneath your hands to brace the ball against as you're trying to catch it. The, the problem is that the, the fact that it was ruled an interception on the field, if it had been ruled incomplete on the field, I don't think that would have been overturned either. That, that's the fact stupid. it was ruled a catch, that's just the way it goes. It no, sucks. No, that's not that's not right, though. If, if, you're saying that it, if you're saying that it should have been ruled ultimately an incomplete, if it was on the field incomplete, they should have kept that, then that's bogus because we had way more than enough evidence to overturn this. We mm-hmm. saw the ball scrape across the turf. We saw how close it was to the time that his hands even made contact contact with it so there's no way he possibly could have had control of the ball and we saw beads flying up the t- off the turf in, in 4k hd there's more than enough of evidence to overturn that i'm not hearing that okay i'm just going to disagree with you because it's just a bad rule it's badly it is, written it's a and badly it sh- written rule and, and, it's it, and it should be changed interpret, and these stupid right. refs have gotten so far down yeah. this hole i, I, I don't think it's the like refs you. Even people I don't like think you it, can't see, see that that's not a catch. I, I don't think it's the refs. I think you need to change the rule. There's a big I difference. I agree with that. If we're to the point where that's even remotely considered a catch, we definitely need to change the rule because that is asinine. 
Absolutely. I'll, 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 that part I will completely give you. I'm a big, the, the whole across the line of scrimmage, the fact if you have a half a toenail on the other side and you might be three yards across the line of scrimmage, it, it's a pass. I think it's a stupid rule. I think if any part of your body's across the line of scrimmage, done, play over. It's not the rule. It's stupid. Doesn't mean I got to like it, but it's the rule and you have to officiate that rule accordingly. I, I agree with you, but the problem is the way the rule's written even now, that's still not an interception what he did. It makes it confusing enough that people can somehow mistake what they're seeing but even with the way the rule is written that is not an interception well, let's go back to this how about samaj ap ryan catch the damn ball yeah that would be, that would have been better that would have been yeah better for sure we're going back to burrow's game that he had we were talking about how how well he played despite the nine sacks i mean there were moments in there where you had to be nervous as a Bengals fan. No so doubt. Take all, all of those hits. Well, it's the, the, like the, 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 totally the, fine the, after the game, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. And, and Rick, the, the, the two that we don't even talk about, I mean, he got technically sacked 11 times. Two of them were after the whistle, right? Yeah. Well, what, the, what, one, what were the, the one where they dove into his knees was legitimate scary. He got up yes, for a was. second and, and yes. hobbled, and then he yes. was okay. Yes. And, and and I didn't like the fact that they hit his knee. I know fans were saying, why don't you blow the whistle? You could see the official running down the sideline, blowing the whistle. You couldn't hear it. I mean, you just couldn't hear the damn thing. Now, it doesn't excuse the guy for diving at his knees, but, um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, he got beat up pretty good, man. And, and the fact that he was still in there smiling and making Evan McPherson jokes, that's pretty incredible. His first down run to set up Mixon's yes. touchdown. Yes, huge. Third down, that's a play I'll never forget as long as I – I mean, that's one that will stand out in my mind of just like, that's my freaking quarterback dude, right Dude, there. he he was going – if somebody – the way he leaned his body, he knew he wanted to get to the marker and dive if it came to that, right? Yep. But he, he was almost like, if somebody's here, I'm trucking you, or I'm going to try to truck you. I don't know if he would have. He was determined to get that first down, and when he was able to do it without hitting somebody, it was even more impressive because um, that was a huge play. And it kept the drive alive. It was going to be another field goal attempt, right? And how big would that have been if that's what that would, would have turned out? Again, the game at the end of the game would have ended differently, all those kind of things. But how big was that? And then Joe Mixon on the next play runs 16 yards for a touchdown, and it's 16-6. I don't know if he commented on this in the post game, but it didn't look like a designed run in that situation. It was not. I thought it was. I tweeted that I thought it was. He said it was not. He said it was as soon as he dropped back, he saw the opening and decided to take off. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking is it looked more like before the snap, he saw what they were in and he's going, there's about a 98% chance I'm just getting this myself. Right. And he saw exactly what he expected to see. And he, because it was almost instantaneous. He took his drop, and that, he looked up and he said, I've got this. Yeah, and that's why I thought it was a draw because of how quickly he put a foot back and took off and the fact that the Red Seas part of it. No, um, it was not a design draw. It was him seeing it really quickly and going and getting the first down. That was uh, and that was impre- that. impressive decision-making and then the fact that you could just see how determined he was of, I'm going to find somebody. If I got to hit you, I'm going to hit you and I'm going to try to get through you. And then it was like, no, I don't have to do that. I just have to dive across the marker and I'm going to do that to not get myself hurt. Yeah, it just speaks to his recognition of everything. Because if, if it yes. happens that fast in real time, he's seeing it before the snap. He knows no exactly question. what they're going to do and what's going to be. And he, saw, he, he said that. He said, I, I thought this was going to happen. I, I thought I was going to have a chance based on the look that if, if things got blocked this way, I would be able to take off and run, and he did. And then where do you go when you need to get in position for a field goal to win the game and you've got the ball in your territory, getting closer to midfield, of course, you're going to number one, right? You just got to, I mean, how appropriate that those two are able to make the big completion that they need to set up the game winner at skinny. To me, the only thing I couldn't stop thinking about is like, it wasn't a surprise that that's where the Bengals went with the ball. It wasn't a surprise that Jamar Chase made the play and Burrow made the throw, but how do you let Jamar Chase beat you if you're the Titans, right? 
It's a great route. Um, I know CJ Uzama, we talked to him today. I, apparently T Higgins on the other side was wide open too, ran the same route. And, and CJ said when, when the play went off, he, he, he said, he goes, I knew where it was going. It was going to one of the two outside guys based on the coverage. It was a matter of who beat who on the route. And if you watch Jamar's route, puts a foot in the ground, not only then cuts outside, which is which is the big part of the route. He has a he has a two way two way go. He can cut depending on the leverage. The leverage was on his, I guess, to the boundary side. He could have cut it inside. The fact that it was on the inside to the hash, he cuts it to the boundary. Um, and then not only does he cut it to the boundary, Rick, he cuts it up the field to get separation. And the fact that Joe knows where to put the ball, because again, this is in real time, right? We're talking real time of. Joe knowing he's not just cutting flat to the boundary. He's cutting at an angle to the boundary. That's where I have to put the ball. And he, he throws it before he's coming out of his break. And like I said, apparently T Higgins on the other side was, was open too, but you know, you're a right-handed quarterback. So where are your, where are your eyes going? Right. They're going to the right side of the field. So his eyes went quickly to, to Jamar. And I think he realized really quickly, Jamar's going to break open here and I'm going to throw it here. And Jamar has to run that route precisely to get it. Again, think about if he cuts that off three yards short, where's the ball, Rick? It's over his head out of bounds. Instead, it was perfectly placed. Tap, 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 in, easy catch, easy pitch, field goal territory. And and so I thought CJ explained it really well to the point where he said, as soon as we came out, I knew where the ball was going, and it was a matter of who won their route. And he said, actually, they both won their route. But, you know, he sees Jamar, and, and probably there's also still that connection because that's my guy. But I think, again, he's a right-handed quarterback looking right. Uh, you can't – all parties can't run that any better. They can't and, – and let's not forget, the offensive line had to hold up for a little bit longer on that play because it was a little longer developing route, right? Yeah, and, and finally they got the protections right, the guys held up right. I mean, there were several times throughout the games where – the protection was just well, they had no chance based on what the defense had called, right. what the offense was running there. They didn't even have the right amount of guys in to protect right. in certain right. situations. So, as much as we talked about the offensive line getting destroyed, and they were, there were times where it's probably on the offensive coordinator and Burrow, and give credit to the defense too. The Titans' defensive and, calls and the crowd noise, times. and the crowd, and the crowd noise. noise. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's just they did a hell of a job all game. But you're right. You go down to when it really mattered, the most crucial player to the Bengals were able to come up with something that got the job done. And whether it was Burrow making a great call and read or the offensive line holding up enough and on that play, or just uh, some great play calls down the stretch too, after some earlier in the game that weren't so good, uh, you, you just got to give kudos to really the whole Bengals offense and yeah, it, everyone it, involved. It, and I go back to, uh, I, I, it looks easy, right? On, on TV, it looks like, oh, it's an easy pitch and catch. Go watch that route in real time, even in slow motion. And again, realize where Joe Burrow has to have his eyes. Realize where he thinks thinks Jamar's going to go and where Jamar goes. Um, it's pretty incredible to watch that play develop and go, wow, that's some real chemistry right there. Period. End of story. Skinny, give me anything else that came out of this game from your perspective. Anything that you heard in the post game that you found interesting? Anything that stood out to you while the game happened that maybe flew under the radar a little bit? Well, it didn't fly under the radar, but but Mike, Mike Vrabel's decision to go for two was stupid. Um, then his decision at the end of regulation, the way they managed the clock, I think it forced Ryan Tannehill to try to force that throw into um, into the receiver. And it really wasn't a throw he should have made, but the clock was at the point where you got to make something happen down the field. I think Mike Vrabel helped the Bengals win this game as much as anybody. I like Mike Vrabel. I think he's a really good coach. I think I love his attitude. I love the, the way his guys play. I like the fact that he, that he just wants to be the toughest, most physical team. 
But my lands, dude, going, I mean, going for two there. What? We, this is not the third game of the regular season, Chief. Go take your points. Don't be stupid. Don't be analytically stupid. That's where analytics shoved it up your ass. And then again, at the end of regulation, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell were you doing? Yeah, the two-point conversion, I'm with you. But the end of the regulation is the one that I just really look and I go, this is a team that's pretty known for good decisions, playing conservatively, leaving it up to their defense and all that. Like they're not the team that screws up the clock. Usually that's where they typically excel. And I mean, his explanation after the game essentially was I'm scared to death of Joe Burrow. He didn't say that like that, but his explanation made no sense at all because he said they were going really slow on that last well, drive. Well, the, well, then run the clock out. Just call it a day, run the clock out, go to overtime, and hope for the best with the coin toss. That's what and, I thought instead, they were going to do at first. And then he said, well, we were trying to get to the 35 to kick a field goal, and we didn't want to give him the ball back. It's like, well, you just ran fourth and one from the 35 of possession to go. What are you talking about right no, now? No, it, it was it was very it was very Marvin Lewis-like of yes. can't figure out, do you want to go for this or do you not want to go for this? Are you scared of the other guys or you want to win the game? And then all of a sudden you tell your quarterback, guy, you got to make a throw here. We, yeah. we need to get the ball across the 50 with time waning down. And the poor guy goes, okay, I got a gun one in here. He actually had the, uh, the running back McNichol on a check down route right over the middle on that play, Rick. He would have gained 15 yards. And but wow. but I think for him it was more I, my eyes are here because I got a gun one into traffic. He's not thinking check down at that point. He because he, he wasn't getting pressured. There was really no not a lot of pressure. He had a chance to step into the throw, make the throw, make the decision, and he guns it into five guys going, Well, I got to throw ball here because we got to get the ball down the field because we don't have a lot of time. That, that was thank you, Mike Vrabel, for being stupid. Yeah, well, and and credit to Lou Anarumo and the defense too, because I know a lot of Bengals fans and myself included throughout the year going, ah, I'd love to see us be a little more aggressive. Why are we only not there? Four? We can't get there. <laughs> Maybe send a blitzer and, and not necessarily in that situation, but just in general throughout the game, right? You keep, you think those things of, it'd be nice to see us get home once in a while, maybe get a little more aggressive and all season long, Lou has been very conservative with that. And it seems like his philosophy is more, let them, let them play in front of us and make a mistake for us. And we'll just be sound. And in this game, that's exactly how it played out. The Bengals kept the ball in front of them, kept the ball in front of them. And then Ryan Tannehill, when he's trying to make a play, was Ryan Tannehill. He's exactly who we thought he was. And, and to your point about Mike Vrabel, it's like, this is a guy that you never trust to go out and win the game for you and go make those plays. And at the end of the game, you put him in that situation. It was very strange. It was very strange. Now, I, I will I will agree with what you said about Lou, except for, a couple of big plays came on the blitz. There was one early in the first uh, first half where they blitzed Mike Mike Hilton and Von Bell, and Von got a sack, and they actually fumbled it, but they recovered it. And then remember, Mike Hilton's interception came when Mike Hilton came on a slot blitz and was able to jump up and knock the ball down. So Lou picked his spots really, really well, um, and and came away with a couple of big plays because of it. Yeah, well, and you know, going to the Rams game that played out on Sunday night here as we're recording this. At the end of the game, Tampa Bay brings a safety blitz inexplicably against right. Matt Stafford, and he throws right over top of it to Cooper Cup to win the game. It's like, you know, you, it was just another example of, yeah, this all being aggressive and everything is great, and I'm one who typically prefers that, but maybe some of these guys know what they're doing, you know? Yeah, who's this number 10 guy? Uh, he won't get by us. Oh, wait, he just did. Oh, we, we that's the guy who might be an him. MVP. We have, he'll, he, we, and, and the funny thing is, with the Winfield guy is a great safety. But he just ran right by him, right down the middle of the field. Asking to guard him one on one when he's not directly even matched up on him how do you, to play. I mean, how how you don't just say we're going to put people in front of us and rally to tackle when they're out of timeouts is beyond. That's the dumbest thing ever. I, I can't remember. Is it Todd Bowles? Who's the defensive coordinator there? I draw a blank on all these guys. Whoever that should be should be fired. 
Him and the Green Bay Packers special teams coordinator out of this weekend are the two guys that should be fired. And the, the Green Bay Packers guy, I mean, the fact of all the mistakes, and then at the end of the game, you only have 10 guys to rush the game-winning field goal attempt. I'm surprised he doesn't have a pink slip today. They just go, dude, if you can't count to 11, get out. Just you take your stuff. Don't even get your stuff. In fact, get out. We'll mail it to you. That is one other thing about this Bengals team. It is refreshing to see a team, regardless of how much success they've had this year, just not be penalized, not right. be the ones running 11 guys or 12 guys out on the field when you're not supposed or 10 guys or 12 guys out on the field when you're not supposed to like just be sound, be good. Be, don't be embarrassing. And the Bengals are that now. They're the least penalized team in the NFL. It's so nice to watch a team that doesn't beat themselves with stupidity. Almost. Yeah, and 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 you know what? Um, one of the worst penalties of the day was the Trey Flowers on the on the on the punt, right? And and I think that was just more of a he just kind of goofed. He you know he kind of mistimed it. And that then guess weird, who came yeah. down? Yeah, they guess who came down and made two great special teams tackle in the open field on punts after that. Trey Flowers. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a bounce back. Yeah, and he's been pretty good all year on special teams, actually, in terms of coverage. So uh, that it didn't surprise me when he made those plays, but it was weird when he had the the penalty early. It's like yeah, I I I, I I I think he just missed time, and that you know that's just that sometimes that's you know that is that sports you just mess it up for whatever reason. But to bounce back like that was huge because he he snuffed them out, man. They just they didn't get any return yards. They got no hidden yardage. Yep. All right, Skinny. Anything else that you have uh, from this one? No, and and we'll preview the 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 Kansas City game on our podcast on Thursday. So if you're wondering for why we're not kind of previewing that, we've got another podcast to do, so we'll do it then. But um, it's pretty incredible. Uh, I am I don't want to say I'm beyond stunned. I, I wrote a piece, Rick, and I got to go back and I think I wrote it the bye week that at the time they were. Now I take it back. I wrote it after the Baltimore game when they were five and two. Of now you change expectations. Now it's you should be a playoff team or consider yourself a playoff team. And I even wrote, I wrote this, I'll go back and link it and you can go back and look at it. Um, that, you know, the two times the Bengals made the playoffs kind of weird stuff happened where they, they got a, a goal line stand early in a the season. They then won a, a game where they beat a team like they beat Baltimore early in the season where you're like, Oh, okay. Maybe they are pretty good. Uh, they had a couple of weird losses along the way in 81 and 88, like the jets game, like the inexplicable Cleveland game. Um, but you know, this is kind of how seasons evolve. when you have a, a roster that's young and you're not quite sure. And then suddenly they do this kind of stuff. The sky is the limit. And so, um, I'm going to give a short tease. I don't think they go to Kansas city and win, but honestly, anything this team does, doesn't surprise me. It's not like I go, Oh, well, yeah, that'd be, that'd be sweet. It'd just be like the, you know, the, the Jaguars beating the Titans in a divisional game. No, they've already beaten this team. I don't think they do this time because I think Kansas City's that good. But look, I mean, I think the expectation five and two was you're proving you're good enough to go to the playoffs. And then there was a little slippage right before the bye. And then after the bye, a couple big wins. And then a little slippage again with the crazy loss to the Chargers and the overtime loss to the, to the Niners. And then they kind of bounce back from that. And you look up and I think Joe Burrow's right. It's a good team with good players. It's not a perfect team with great players. It's not a finished roster where you're like, damn, this team across the board, kind of like Kansas City, where you're like, when they're healthy, and Pat Mahomes helps a lot of that. I mean, they just got dudes, McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Tyron Matthew got hurt tonight and 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 Jones. And I mean, they've got just dudes. This team's not far away from having dudes. And so it just that's kind of how sometimes seasons evolve like this. And so it, it should be an enjoyable ride for all. It may come to a conclusion this Sunday, and, and it, it may not, but 
I mean, the fact that this team has done this, it is completely open the window. And I think Joe Burrow's right. Right now with this young roster, um, this is just the start. It is just the start. It's cool that he understands the moment too, though, how he can be so collected yeah. in the moment and say, hey, we're not an underdog anymore, all that stuff. I, I mean, he clearly believes it, and it seems like the team does too. I don't really care if if they do or not. It's just right. amazing how poised he clearly is because he shows it with his play every week. And uh, someone asked me, after the game, it's like, would you rather play the Chiefs or the Bills? And I, I honestly said to them, I really can't bring myself to care. It does not. Both <laughs> of them are so damn good. And right. you're facing such an elite quarterback talent that it's going to take a hell of a performance to try to pull something like that off. But you know what? The Bengals have already beat the Chiefs once. And yeah, it was at home. But with what they've shown the last couple of weeks, anything's possible and they never were supposed to be in this position anyways they believe in themselves so like you said to start this podcast i'm not betting against joe burrow no matter what no i, I think that's the right way to go and um i i said this tonight on on tv on the sports authority on sunday night it, it he just reminds me of a young tom brady when tom brady didn't even know how cool and good he was gonna be it was almost like hey i'm pretty good and i'm pretty cool and I just won a Super Bowl, and I don't know how I just did that. It really wasn't because of Tom Brady. This is going to be more because of Joe Burrow if something like that happens. And um, his talent, you know, initially has always been better. I mean, Tom was an afterthought at Michigan, who was a late-round draft pick, who developed into this super quarterback. Joe Burrow was already this super quarterback, and here he is in year two doing this. It And, and the way he just acts and reacts and the way guys galvanize him, it literally reminds me of the second coming of Tom Brady. I totally see that comparison. The only thing I would say is I think Brady was a little less assuming because of how he entered the league right, and who he was right. at the time. Burrow, I think he does know how good he is and how good he intends on being. I think Joe Burrow thinks he's a yes. Hall of Famer in his mind right no, now. No, yes, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, and that's my point. He, but he's but he's very understated in doing so. And it's almost like, you guys can follow if you want. I think I'm pretty good. Follow me. And they do. Yeah, that's more what it's like. It's more like, I am this good and I'm going to do this stuff. So you can either believe and get behind me or not, but it's we're rolling this train forward either way. Yep. No question. That's all I got skinny. All right, Rick, as always, I enjoyed it. We will uh, be back on uh, Thursday. I think I got to look at the week. It might be Wednesday. We never know where we go with this. It's usually midweek somewhere along the lines. Rick, Rick Oh, you're not traveling anymore, right? No, you, I'll be home not, for not the next two weeks. So. All right. So we'll be good. So we'll probably do it on Thursday of this coming week. So hope you'll join us then for our weekly Pope and podcast. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.